do what it says I can. I'm a believer and not a doubter. I'm a doer and not just a hearer. I am humble before the Lord. I'm obedient to the Lord. I'm mature in the Lord. I'm enthusiastic about the Lord. I know that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Amen. Our scripture, Matthew chapter 12, verse 30, what we read last week. Matthew chapter 12, we're just going to read that as a jumping off point this morning. It says, anyone who isn't with me opposes me. And anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me. Amen? Well, you may be seated. You may be seated. This is going to be our second and, and just a short sermon series, the final sermon in this title uh, that we've labeled, Whose Side Are You On? And I've said my objective is simply to show uh, when it comes to serving the Lord and being extremely loyal to him, there is no neutrality. There is no neutrality. There is no middle ground. You're either for him or against him. We said neutrality means supporting neither side in a quarrel or war. Being on the sideline, on the fence, disengaged or indifferent. And I said, when it comes to following Jesus, he expects extreme loyalty. Somebody, loyalty. Someone say extreme, extreme. Loyalty. loyalty. And we're going to see that today. Last week I used a colloquial expression for the extreme loyalty uh, as a way to describe someone who is always on Jesus' side or who will stick with him all the way to the end. And we just kind of picked up that phrase, uh, are you a ride or die follower of the Lord? Or are we just going to be fair weather followers? Are we going to be there to the end with him? Or are we going to be there only during the good times and when the storms of life come, we abandon him and leave? Now, last week we learned that uh, from Joshua's experience that we have a choice to make. You know, we can't be neutral when it comes to being loyal and faithful to our Lord. And he made it clear that you have to make up in your mind whose side are you on and say to yourself, who will you serve this day? Will you and your house serve the Lord or will you and your house serve the world? There is no in-between. You're either on his side or you're not. Amen? And then we saw Jesus making it clear to us in Matthew where he said that, you know, uh, you can't serve two masters. You know, either you're going to love one and hate the other, or you'll despise one and be loyal to another. So in other words, there can be nothing that's equal to him in our lives. And if we have something that's competing against him, then that means that we will be, have divided loyalties. Amen? And we close with Jesus making it crystal clear that anyone who isn't with him opposes him. And if you're not with him, you're actually working against him. And now today we're going to take a, a deep dive and show you how much of a demand Jesus placed on his followers when it comes to being loyally committed to him. Amen? Go to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8, when I start reading our verse, read verse 18 through 22. The cost of following Jesus. See, following Jesus is not always easy or comfortable. Often it can mean great cost and sacrifice. It may cause some popularity, friendship. Sometimes it's going to cause some of your leisure and cause you to give up some of your treasured habits. Although the cost of following Jesus can be high, 
the value of being his disciples is even higher. Discipleship is an investment that lasts for eternity and yields great reward both now and in heaven. Now in our text here, we find that there was a great crowd following Jesus and, and, and for various reasons. And these were the people who were following him before severe opposition had started. And so he knew that many of them were only would-be followers. Somebody say would-be. They was only would-be followers, would-be disciples, and they would not be with him when times got tough. And so some of them followed him for various reasons, with various motivations. And so Jesus now is really putting them to the test and testing their sincerity to see if they were truly ready to commit to being his followers. Every now and then, your faith got to be tested. Every now and then, your loyalty needs to be tested. Every now and then, something needs to come in your life and challenge you to see whether or not you're going to stay with the Lord or whether you're going to abandon him. And so in this dialogue, in this exchange, we're going to see some things here when people say, yes, I'm going to commit to you, but Jesus must have seen through them to find out that their limited understanding, as well as their desire to follow him, they were not totally committed to him. And so in response, he says some things that kind of, you know, will strike at your heart. I mean, when I read some of these things, he said, man, I said, man, Jesus has been hard. I mean, Jesus has been hard. But I guess if you want to know if someone's going to ride or die with you, you got to be, got to be hard. Look at this. Verse 18 says, when Jesus saw the crowd around him, he instructed his disciples to cross to the other side of the lake. Then one of the teachers of religious law, probably a scribe, said to him, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. You know, that's a bold declaration. I'll follow you wherever you go. Now, this was an educated man. Some say his motivation may be kind of funny, Cliff. You know, he saw all the things that Jesus was doing, the powerful teaching that Jesus was doing, that Jesus was doing and he looked out there and he may have seen that, man, ain't nobody following him but these little uneducated fishermen and tax collectors. You know, I got a degree. I got higher education. Maybe if I follow him, I can get higher in the chain with him because I see who following him right now. And so his motivation may not have been pure for wanting to follow Jesus, but Jesus tests him anyway. He says, now, Jesus replied, foxes have dens to live in, and birds have nests. But the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Jesus was letting them know that, hey, man, there's going to be some time where you ain't going to be able to stay in uh, Marriott. I mean, there's going to be some time when we're going to be, you know, eating on bare minimum. There's going to be some place we go where the predem is going to be low. We may have to stay outside. We may not be able to find comfort like everybody else. So are you prepared to make that level of sacrifice to follow me? Because I know you're not accustomed to being put in those predicaments in those situations. So he says, foxes, even they have a place to go. Birds have nests, but the son of man have no place to lay his head. Now, Jesus knew, you. we all know that he had some place he could sleep every now and then, but we know that Jesus' ministry was movement. He was moving all the time, and there were places he went, went that he was not always well received. And he was saying, are you ready to make that level of commitment to me, Herb, that when we get to a town and we got to sleep outdoor, and we got to depend on the hospitality of the people in that city to feed us, 
Are you prepared to follow me then? Or are you only wanting to follow me now because you think it will benefit you and your prestige? Sometimes you have to test our motivation. Why are we following him? And then it said, and another of his disciples said, Lord, let me first return home and bury my father. Now, this is why I thought Jesus was kind of cruel right here. I mean, it, it, this hit me. You know, you figure Jesus, hey, young man, just go handle your business. But Jesus said to him, follow me now. Let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Some of y'all say, Jesus, you just don't know. That's my daddy. That's the one who brought me into the world. You going to tell me? Now, let me set y'all straight right here. Because some of y'all stopped following Jesus right now. He told you you couldn't go take your mama. If the man's father was really dead, Cliff, in that time was not like our time. When we die, folk wait seven, ten days. So you really got to go handle some business. But in that culture, when someone died, they was normally buried before sundown. So if his daddy really died that day, he knew that by sunset, you're going to have to already put him away. So if you really want to follow me, I'll give you the sundown, but I got a feeling your motivation is not pure. You really don't want to go with me. Every now and then, Jesus is going to test your motivation for following him to see whether you really want to go with him. And that excuse that the young man gave was reasonable. But Jesus said, let the dead... That's a tough statement. Paradoxical, man. It just seems so contradictory. Let the dead bear the dead. But Jesus said quite a few contradictory things in this message that I'm going to share with you today. But the point he's trying to make, Jesus is not cruel. He's a God of love. But he's saying that if you're going to put your hand to this pride and follow me, you're going to have to be committed. You just can't be involved with me, Cliff. You're going to have to be committed to me. You know, y'all done heard my story about the, the ham, you know, the, the, the pig and the chicken. You know, when it comes to you being involved and being committed. See, those of you who eat breakfast, for those of you who haven't heard the story, I'll shorten it for the ones who have. You know, when you have a ham and egg breakfast, the chicken was involved. He just, she or whatever just laid the egg and kept on going. But the pig, Adrian, he had to pay the ultimate sacrifice in order for you to get that ham. So what I'm trying to tell you, some of y'all see yourselves as chickens. You just involved with Jesus. But until you see yourself like the pig, that's when you can call yourself committed. Are you committed today or are you just involved? That's what he's looking for some committed folk. Called committed people, Joe, don't stay with him when time get tough. Involved people don't leave him when he's on the cross. In Luke 9, you don't have to turn there, but I'll read this because Luke, of this same passage of scripture, Luke add another story. He says this in verse 9, chapter 9, verse 61 and 62. It says, and another said, 
Yes, Lord, I will follow you, but first let me go say bye to my family. Jesus would still say, you know, you, you finna enlist in the army, go tell mom and daddy goodbye. You know, ain't nothing wrong with that. You're going to be gone for a while. But Jesus told him, anyone who puts his hand to the plow and then look back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Now, that farming analogy was there to say, hey, when you're plowing, you got to stay focused. And he said some of his followers are so easily distracted that the minute something comes in their life or the minute something happens, they look around. And when they look, they get off course. Instead of going straight, they start wobbling and doing everything else that they should when they should be focused. And all Jesus is telling us that, hey, if you're going to be a true follower of mine, you're going to have to stay. You're going to have to lock in. And see, that's what's hard for some of us because some of y'all don't want to stay. You get too distracted by every little thing that come up in the world. And when things start happening around you, you lose sight of Jesus and you start you know, start plying crooked, crooked roads. Instead, your life get crooked instead of being. See, when you're straight, folk know where you stand. They know whose side you're on. But when you're crooked, you start wobbling back and forth, and it looks like you're trying to play the middle, you know. You want to play both sides. I could be lukewarm one time, and then I can be cold the next time. I can be hot, and I can be cold, and back and forth, back and forth. And sooner or later, Jesus is going to get tired. He just want to know, are you committed? Are you willing to be loyal to him all the way to the end? Or are you going to allow things to come in your life to distract you? Having a life with Jesus is not going to put you at a disadvantage. It's going to allow you to handle those things that come to your life better. Sometimes we look at it like I'm giving up so much to follow Jesus when in reality you're gaining a whole lot more than you're giving up. Go to Matthew chapter 10. Verse 34 to 37. A loyal commitment to Jesus may separate some friends and loved ones. And saying this, Jesus was not encouraging disobedience to parents or conflict at home. Rather, he was showing that the, his presence demands a decision. Because some will follow him and some won't, conflict will inevitably arise. And as we take up the cross and follow him, you know, as we faithfully follow him, our different values and our morals and our goals will set us apart from some people. Your life as a Christian will not always be filled with comfort and tranquility. Love your family and don't neglect them. But remember your loyalty to Jesus, loyalty to Jesus is more important and he said, if you love them more than you love me. Now, get this. Y'all got to pay close attention to the words. He didn't say you couldn't love mama and daddy, brother and sister. He just said you couldn't love them more than you love. So he ain't saying stop loving mama and stop loving daddy, but don't make God out of mama and. Verse 34, separation. Look at this. He says, don't imagine. Somebody say, don't imagine. Don't get it in your head. Don't get it twisted. That I came to bring peace to the earth. I came not to bring peace, but a sword. What? I thought you were the prince of peace. 
But obviously, it was going to cause some conflict with him trying to bring peace. Everybody's not going to see him the same way. And to those who don't see him the same way, then it's going to be like a sword. And you know, you don't have to be too smart to figure it out. Jesus, just by nature of who he was, caused controversy. The minute he said, I'm the son of God, caused the minute he said, I'm greater than Abraham, caused the minute he said all these things about the resurrection and him being raised from the dead, caused so anytime he taught a divine principle, it caused so anytime you try to live out those principles, with some folks it's going to cause y'all just don't want to hear it today. I know, I know. Jesus said this. And I told you, this is a deep dive into seeing how he looked at loyalty. And obviously, our way of looking at loyalty, his way of looking at loyalty, may not be the same thing. So he said, Cliff, don't let your imagination run wild with you. Understand this. I am the Prince of Peace, but because of who I am, everybody's not going to be on our side. And those people who are not going to be on our side is going to put us in a relationship like we're in war with them. Therefore, I got a sword. God, I know this was tough. I almost just skipped this this week, Cliff. I said, ain't no need of me reading this right here, but since it's in the Bible, I guess I better go and at least read it. We ain't got to accept it like Jesus said, but got to read it. Can't run away from it, Cliff. It would have been easy to just skip this so everybody can leave here in peace today and, and you know, not concerned. But, but Jesus says, I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. You know, Jesus didn't need to, need to come to do that. <laughs> you know, he didn't even need... You, we see that without even, you know, even not knowing Jesus. You, we see that a lot right now. Daughters can't get along with their mama, mama-in-law. So Jesus said, look, I come to set against each other. He said, your enemies will be right in your own household. You know, many people sitting in church today who family members won't even go to church with them. And who would talk them out of going to church if they let them. So because you're on the Lord's side, you're here in spite of what your relatives say. Amen. I'm just trying to be real now. You know, if this is truth, then it's got to be happening in people's lives right now. Jesus knew that there will be enemies in our own household, and he's going to test your loyalty, Cliff, by saying, are you going to be loyal to your household, or are you going to be loyal to me when it comes to doing what I call you to do? He didn't say, stop loving mama, stop loving wife, children. He didn't say that. He just said, when it comes to love, you got to place me a little bit. Don't mean that you don't love them. Because if you love me at the highest level, the love that you show for them is definitely going to be beneficial to them. So loving me is to your advantage as a family. It's not to your disadvantage. Because if we practice the principles that he teaches us about love, our families ought to be beneficiaries of that love. 
So don't look like, you know, because you say you love Jesus more than your wife, that you, your wife got to feel like, man, it ain't nothing wrong with playing second fiddle to Jesus. I mean, that's better than playing second fiddle to Maybelline. Just think about that. That's a no-brainer. Make me second to Jesus. Just treat me like I'm his second. You're going to be all right. And so Jesus is saying, look, that's a a definite level of loyalty that I expect out of those who follow me. He says in verse 37, if you love your father or mother more than you love me, you're not worthy of being mine. Why? Wow. Or if you love your son or daughter more than you love me, you're not worthy of being mine. Now that's kind of tough because in the natural, we just ain't going to receive that. That's why you got to understand things that Jesus sent us in your spirit to understand the context of what he's talking about. It would be contradictory for him to tell you to hate your family. I mean, God... You know, family was important to the Jews. And mother and father was right up there. They were at the top of the food chain. And in Jewish culture, the only somebody that you could say you love more than mom and daddy was God. Was God. They could accept you loving God more than you love them. But they couldn't accept you loving anybody else more than you love them. And so Jesus knew what he was dealing with here. And he's trying to teach us this lesson. He expects us to be extremely loyal to him. He expects us to be willing to ride or die with him, but not forsake those who he has placed in our lives. Jesus knows you're married. He knows you got children. He knows you got to feed them. He knows what their needs are. He knows that. But at the same time, if we be honest with ourselves, a lot of time it's not our family members that's hindering us most of the time. It's a lot of other things that's distracting us that we have allowed to come in our lives while we got our hands to the plow. This is all about loyalty to Jesus. Not loyalty to a man, but loyalty to Jesus. And so often in churches now, we become more loyal to a man than we become to God. And so the man is just temporary, here for a season. Jesus is the one that ruled the house. Amen. He gonna make it clear, it's all about him. When it comes to our worship and when it comes to our adoration, when it comes to us coming together, it is all about him. Go to the book of Mark, Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8, verse 34 through 38. Mark chapter 8. Here in this passage, Jesus used the image of carrying the cross, and I think Fabian just got through talking about that, to illustrate the ultimate submission that is required of his followers. Jesus was not against you having some pleasure, some fun, as you would like to call it. He was saying that we have to stay focused on the fact that cost following him comes with a cost. And he is not telling us to go out and needlessly look for pain. You ain't got to start saying, I'm just going to go ahead and let somebody torment me just because of it. No, he ain't saying that. He was talking about the sacrifice and the heroic effort that would be needed to follow him moment by moment, to do his will when the work is difficult 
and the future may look bleak. And he wants us to remain loyal to him and not be ashamed of him and the gospel in the world that we live in. So when we look at this passage of scripture, you have to look at it from the standpoint of Jesus is asking us to make a sacrifice. He's asking us to make a sacrifice. Look at this. Y'all in verse 34? He says, that, look at this. When he, somebody say he, had called the people to himself, somebody say himself, with his disciples also, he, somebody say he, said to them, Whoever desires to follow, somebody say me. Jesus making this all about him. He could have said us. Because he already had the 12 that he had called. They were with him. He said, Nathan, we got all of us together. We with Jesus. Jesus could have said, hey, those of you who want to follow us, come on. But he didn't even look over there and say, hey, y'all want to follow these guys? No, he said, look, this is all about everything in this gospel is pertaining to that little word, me. Just see how often when I read this, he make that clear. It's all about whoever desires to follow after me, let him deny himself Take up his cross and follow. He didn't say, Come follow Peter and John and James and Zebedee. He said, Follow. He didn't say, Come follow us. He said, Come follow. So the gospel is all about Jesus. And when we allow a hum- human entity to take his place, then we're not dealing with the gospel. The church can't be about anybody but Jesus. The things we do got to be about his business, not our business. So Jesus said, look, if you, you're not following them, you're following I'm the key to the kingdom. I'm the one that's going to do the sacrifices for your brother Herb. It won't be Peter. It won't be James or John. It won't be any of those. It's going to be I thought that was Interesting how many times he used these personal pronouns. Then there's these paradoxical statements in verse 35 where he says, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever lose his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. Whoever lose his life for whose sake? Not Bolden's sake. Not Cliff's sake. Not Latham's sake, not Herb's sake, but for Jesus' sake. And his gospel will save him. Now look at that. If I desire to save my life, I got to lose it. And if I lose my life for his sake, then I save it? That sounds very contradictory, Cliff. How can both of those things work? So obviously Jesus here was not talking about your physical life. Because whether you follow him or not, you're going to die. Amen. 
So obviously he was talking about something that transcends this, our natural life to our spirit life because after this physical body gives up the ghost, your spirit is going somewhere. And he's saying you need to be making deposits on where you're, you're going to spend eternity because that's where you're going to live forever with me. So he said, look, you got to give up some things in the natural on this side if you want to live forever with me on the other. And if you desire the things of this world more than you desire me, then you're going to have a hard time living in eternity with me. Because he made it clear early on, there is no in-between. If you are desiring the things of the world, then you're already on the other side. So let me read that one more time, verse 35. He says, whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. So when we come to fellowship one with another, it's all about Jesus and this gospel. Ain't about us. Ain't about what we're trying to do to impress people. It's all about what we're trying to do to serve him and be a faithful follower with him all the way to the end. Man, you know right now during COVID, man, that I, you know, I was going to talk about this maybe in a later message, but since it's out there now, I might as well mention it. You know, there's this thing going around in the Christian body right now called deconstructing your faith. Where a lot of powerful, powerful men who have been in churches all their lives, brought up in the church, are now taking the time to go through and dismantle their faith. And they are walking away from the gospel. You know, that let me know that if men at that level who claim to have had an intimate relationship with Jesus can dismantle their faith, what about somebody with weak faith? Some, some little Christian that just don't know how to deal with what we're dealing with right now. How many of those people may be dismantling their faith? I got a feeling, and I'm not claiming to be a prophet, I'm just sensible, that at the end of the day, there are going to be some folk you knew that sit right in these seats you in, that COVID is going to cause them to dismantle. You got to be loyal with him all the way to the end. You got to keep your focus on the thing above and build up treasure in heaven and not here on. You can't be like the guy who want to go out and build more barns and more barns and more barns and more barns. And he said, man, what if your soul is required to stay? What you going to do? Who you going to call on? The barn can't do nothing for you. So what I'm trying to get you to see, Jesus, you got to prioritize your life. You got to put him at the top and keep him at the top. The barns will take care of themselves. But don't let the barns become your God. Don't let what you possess become your God. Don't let all the things that you can gain become your God. Because when you lose it, you jump out the window. He says, whosoever lose his life, I'm willing, that's talking about sacrifice. He said, whoever's willing to make a sacrifice for my sake and the gospel 
will save his life. He made a sacrifice for you, Joe. So he's expecting you to make a sacrifice for him. If you're going to follow him, Marvel, he's expecting you to make a... He didn't say it was going to be easy because being a sacrifice is not easy. Cutting some things out of your life when you sacrifice it is not easy. But he didn't deceive us. He didn't say it was going to be easy. Preachers have taught you that it was going to be easy because they don't like to talk about this part of the Bible. They don't want to talk about sacrifice. They don't want to talk about suffering. They don't want to talk about going through because they know that people can't handle that. So therefore, when I get you into the body and give you this role, this story, everything going to be perfect in your life from now on, and then all of a sudden when hell break loose, you ain't got nothing to stand on, and now you're back where you started. It's easy for me to tell you, hey, birds got some place to nest, foxes got some holes to go in, but if you're going to follow Jesus, look here, that don't mean your household going to be on one accord overnight. If y'all was arguing yesterday, guess what? You're going to be still arguing tomorrow unless you get both of y'all come on one accord. So don't deceive people like that. Oh, just give your life to the Lord and your whole household is just going to be good. But Jesus just said, your household and you're going to be on different sides of the coin. We got to stop manipulating people when it comes to following Jesus. We got to tell them it comes with a cost. That's why he told them, hey, if you're going to follow me, you first need to sit down and count. When you go to war with a thousand men or ten thousand men, don't just haul off and go to war, but you need to sit down and deliberate in your mind, what is it going to cost me to follow Jesus? And that's all he's asking these people to do. Hey, take a look at your life and see do you have what it takes to, to follow me. Not just follow me in the good time, but follow me when your life gets tough and when you don't know which way to turn, who you going to turn to? He's just letting us know you got a decision to make. You can't be divided in your loyalties and then try to follow him at the same time. Now, in verse 36 and 37, Jesus asks some penetrating and provoking question because I'm pretty sure if you ask this to some people they'll get upset you know and, and because it can provoke them to think about some things because he said in verse 36 for what will it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his soul you know Jesus using economic terms here profit loss gain that's money term. You know, he using that to make his point here. Say, so what would it profit a person to gain all the stuff that you can get in the world? Because you don't realize who owns the world right now. <laughs> the other guy runs all the stuff in the world. And what does it profit you to gain all that stuff that you can't take? Because where you're going, it ain't going to do you no good. You don't need it in heaven, but you need it here on earth. And if you don't have the right understanding of it, it will become your God, and that other guy will have you worshiping him and it more than me. Y'all better hear me today. Jesus wasn't talking about how well you're going to have it down here. Look, there's some folk don't even go to church living just as good as you. 
People who didn't, who didn't even graduate college own their own business and, and a millionaire. These little kids coming out of high school now don't even know Jesus but got good IT skills and already to become millionaires. So, so don't look at it like we just talking about a financial gain on our part because look, you don't need Jesus to make money. You just need to be intelligent. There's hustlers out on the street every day making money. Don't know Jesus, but they're making. So he's saying, what will it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? That part of you that got to go somewhere when you die. See, we just focus on the physical aspect of us, this body. But this body is going back to the dust from which it came. It ain't going to heaven. It was corrupt when you was born, and it's still corrupt. This flesh is corrupt. So this flesh, when it dies, is going to go back to dust. But therefore, there's something on the inside of you, that part of you that, that God breathed into you, that breath of life that's into you, that, that, that soul or spirit, as some people call it, that thing got to go somewhere when you take your last. And where that goes determine what eternity is going to be like for you. And I know we don't like to talk about heaven and hell, but Jesus make it clear, if you want to be with him, there's certain things you got to do on this side. Man, what will you give in exchange for your soul? He says, look, you can't get enough money and get enough houses and get enough land that can be equal to you going to hell. You just can't get a dollar. So then he, what he says, then let me read it again. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses soul? And then verse 37, or oh, what will a man give in exchange for his soul? He's saying, look here, God don't want your money. Your bank account is not big enough to pay for your soul. So there's no exchange that you can make with God with money or material wealth and material gain that's going to save your soul. Because you can be broke and get to heaven. Money ain't got <laughs> I know it's good to have money on earth. I got some. I know it. I know it. It's good to have money. And if I'm going to live in earth, I'd rather live in earth with some money than to be broke. But at the same time, I ain't married to my money. My money don't control me. It don't govern everything I do. It's not based on a monetary gain or loss. And so what happens is when we look at material things around us and what we have, then we value our worth to God based upon how much we got. That's why so many people so easy to chase a message where it looks like you're going to get rich and the more you're richer you got, it makes it look like the more faith you got, Cliff. But there's some people who poor that got just as much faith. And probably more than some rich folk. So what will you, will a man give in exchange for his soul? What can you give, Shirley? What can you offer God? Say, God, you know, I want to just give you my whole bank account. But I, God don't want it. He wants your heart. He wants your loyalty. And if you give me those things, I don't have to worry about your bank account. I'm going to get some of that anyway. Because you have lost you to me. You're going to give back to the kingdom of God. So it ain't about that. God is saying, look, I need you. And Jesus is saying, I need you with an undivided 
heart. I need you with a loyalty and committed that is willing to make a sacrifice for my cause, for the gospel's sake. Now look at this, verse 38. And this is a tough one right here. For whoever is ashamed of me, that that word is again, me. You can be ashamed of Boulder. You can be ashamed of Cliff. Be ashamed of Jesse. And be ashamed of Brother Purdue. But he said, whoever be ashamed of. Man, some of y'all said, man, Jesus sounds like he's a very selfish guy. I mean, he's me. And look, you know the world tells me, myself. Well, this passage of scripture right here is all about. All about him. And he making it clear that if you want to be my follower, this is the ground rule right here. You're not following anybody else but him. So look at this. He says, whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation. In other words, going back to what he said earlier about denying yourself, if, if you're going to deny me and be ashamed of me in this world, this adulterous and sinful world that we live in, if you're going to act like you don't know me in this adulterous and sinful world, you know, you're at church, you love so, little Jesus, I love you, I'm so loyalty. Y'all got to see some of y'all close your eyes and raise your hand and say, loyalty. But the guy said, he gave up some stuff to be loyal to Jesus. They told him he had to say certain things in his music in order to make it. But he chose to use Jesus and be loyal to Jesus instead of compromising who he was. And so what I'm trying to tell you, he's saying, look, Jesus said, you can't be ashamed of me and my word. You can't go and hide under a rock or under a bush or somewhere when it comes to who you stand with. Whose side are you on? When the world asks you, whose side are you on? You got to own me. You can't deny me. You can't turn your back on me. You can't go in another direction if I'm going in this direction. You got to let the world clearly know whose side you are on. It says, whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father and the holy angels. Jesus said, look here, if you're ashamed of me on this side, I'm going to be ashamed of you when I come back. If you act like you don't know me on this side, I'm going to act like I don't know you when I come back. You know, I, I, I submit to you all, you better... Start owning up to Jesus when you leave here. See, it's easy to say, I love the Lord. You know, he heard my cry. You're in the house right now. You, you'll be out of place. You say you love the devil in here. I mean, you just, you know, even when I was a chief sinner, Zontel, I didn't go to church and say, I love the devil. You know, I just acted like it when I left church. But in church, I had the right attitude. I had the right demeanor. But what he's saying, look, this thing is bigger than your in-church presence. I want to know you're going to follow me when you walk out them doors. Tomorrow morning, next week, next year, are you going to still be following me? Or are you only going to, only going to put me on on Sunday morning and parade me in the church, but then you drop me at the door on your way? 
ain't going to take me to work with you tomorrow. Ain't going to take me to lunch with you today. You act like you don't know me when you hear someone saying some things against me. And you got an opportunity to just interject my name in that situation. But you're going to be timid. I just, don't, I just can't say nothing right now about Jesus. But, but you hear what they're saying. This is an opportune moment to make a stand for whose side you hold. You know, and, and, and every now and then you hear people saying things and your spirit ought to be quickened because the Holy Spirit ought to say, hey, you got to say something. You just can't let that go unchecked because if you do, then it's going to be like you were ashamed to defend me in this sinful and wicked generation. It takes courage and it takes power to stand up for Jesus when it may cost you some friends, when it may cost you some family members. But I just stop by as I get ready to finish this up saying, look, you can't be ashamed of Jesus. Paul said it this way in Romans 1.16. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it is the power of God to salvation for everyone believe. If you are concerned about people's soul, then you can't be ashamed to share the gospel with them. If you're concerned about your loved ones, your friends, and your family, you have an obligation to share the gospel. Now, whether or not they receive it and listen, it don't matter. The blood is not on your hand if you share the gospel with them. But if the Lord placed them on your heart and you are ashamed to share him with them and then something happened to him and they don't know him, then you're going to be held accountable. You have nothing to lose by making sure that when God places people in your heart, you just ask the question. Just share your faith. Share the gospel with them. And if they walk away from you, some of these same folks that we just got through reading about walked away from Jesus. You don't have to feel bad about that because he's going to reward you for doing what you've been called to do. You can't be ashamed of the Christ that you pray about that you sing about, that you say you live for, that you say you're going to ride or die with, you can't be ashamed of him. And I know now we're living in this world where so many people are confused by everything that's going on out there, but you can't be confused by the gospel. You got to know and understand what you believe about Jesus Christ. Because if not, someone's going to come and can cause you to deconstruct your faith. Start you to doubt everything you've been taught. Well, you know, he really did, wasn't that serious. He couldn't have been talking about leaving father and mother. That don't make no sense. That's just ludicrous. Who? When you, you going to do that? You just out your mind to follow somebody who would tell you to do that. Then the natural part of going, you say, yeah. Yeah, mama brought me in the world. Mama breastfed me and made sure I had a life play. Daddy provided for me. Yeah. Yeah, that don't make sense. Jesus, on that point, Jesus, I can't go with you. I got to ride and die with the folks I see. Because I ain't never seen you, Jesus. I just done heard about you. I see mama and dad. So if your mind is weak, 
it is not hard to deconstruct something that you read in the... That's why our faith is so important when it comes to this loyalty to Jesus. Because when you really get down to it, faith and loyalty almost mean the same thing. So Paul said, I won't be ashamed of it. And then in Revelation 2 and 10, he said to the persecuted church, he said, be faithful unto death, and I will give you, amen. Stay with me to the end, and I'll give you the crown of, Stay with me till you die, and I'll give you life eternal. Stay with me all the way. Stay with me during COVID. Stay with me during tough times. Stay with me when you're unemployed. Stay with me to the And in the end, I'll make sure you have a crown that's worthy of the sacrifice that you've made. And so all Jesus is asking us, is are you willing to make the sacrifice to follow him? And if he tests your loyalty in some area of your life, trust him. That's all I can tell you to do. Trust him. Don't trust your natural feelings. Don't trust your instinct. Trust your spirit. Trust that part of you that can relate to God. And if you stay faithful to the end, he's going to give you a crown of life. But I tell you this, he will make life better for you on this side. Amen. I got to believe and we have to convince young people that by being on Jesus' side on this side don't mean you're going to live a subpar and inferior life. God wants the best for you on this side, but he's going to reward you in a great way on the other side. So I close, David, just a simple question. Whose side are you on? I mean, Jesus said some tough things in this passage of Scripture. But I think he was just doing a loyalty test on all of us. They said, are you willing to follow me all the way to the end? All the way to the end. If you're with him to the end, just give him a hand clap of praise right now. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord, we declare that we're on your side all the way to the end. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Life is about choices. And a choice has to be made when it comes to following Jesus. So my first appeal is for salvation. If you're here or you're online, and you don't know Jesus Christ as the pardon of your sin, then I encourage you to raise your hand if you're in the house. Give us a call at 850-862-3899 if you're online. If you're in the house and you want to make Jesus the Lord of your life, making him Lord don't mean that you're not going to be able to continue to live a life that glorifies him. But making him Lord means that you're going to realize that you got a new master now. You got a, 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 a new chain of command. But it's not going to belittle you in any way. It's going to benefit you if you just make him Lord. 
Make him Lord today if you not made him Lord. If that's your desire, please raise your hand. Please raise your hand. See no hands raised? If you're online, again, I've given you the number that you can call. My second appeal, if you're here and you're looking for a church home and you want to be a member of this congregation, I ask for you to please raise your hand. If you're online, again, call that same number. Someone will get your information and we'll definitely get back in touch with you. So if you're here, please raise your hand. Please raise your hand. Please raise your hand. Then my third appeal is for prayer. If you've got a prayer concern, would y'all please stand right now? You may have a request or a concern. And we have not started opening up the altar yet, but that day is coming. But we do want you to, at your seat, if you're able to stand, to make your requests and your petitions known to God. Believing that God will hear and answer your prayer. You may want to be praying for yourself, a family member, a concern that you have in your life. The Bible tells us we can cast our cares on the Lord because he cares for us. And because he cares so much for us, he can handle anything that you lay at his feet. So I say, put your burdens there. Lay them down. Don't pick them back up. Trust him to be able to make your load a little bit lighter if you just trust him with what you're carrying. Some of you may be troubled in your mind with some things. I just ask that you open your mind up and let him in. Your heart may be heavy in some areas of your life. I ask that you just allow him to soften up your heart. You may be hurting in your body, and I just ask that you believe that he's able to minister to you in every area of your life. Let us pray. Eternal God, our Father, we honor you and give you thanks on today. We thank you, God, for all that you have done, all that you have said, and all that you're yet going to do. God, we lift up each and every person on the sound of my voice and those that are online, God. We just pray that you minister to them wherever they are right now. You know each and every one of us by name, God. You know the hairs on our head, God. You know all about us. So right now, God, there's nothing that we can cast your way that you don't know about. So, God, we lay down our cares, our concerns, our burdens to you. And, God, even during this time, if there's the praise that we want to offer up to you because you've been so good, you kept us and you sustained us, we take this moment to give you a sacrifice of praise by telling you thank you in our prayer time, God, adoring you for being a loving God and a merciful God, thanking you for the sacrifice that was made for us, God, so that we could have a way back to the tree of life, God. All of our prayers don't always have to be petitions where we want something from you, God, but sometimes we can pray and just give you thanks for what you've already done, thanking you in advance for what you're yet going to do, God. So therefore, God, we thank you for meeting our needs. We thank you, God, for blessing us to be able to get up this morning, God. We thank you, God, for keeping us in our right mind, God. We thank you, God, for life, health, and strength right now, God, to be able to sit in a house of worship, to be able to sit in a home and, and watch service online. We thank you for all the little things, God, that we take for granted sometimes, God, because we want you to know that we are grateful for the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. We are grateful, God, for the blood that was shared for us. We are grateful, God, for the all that he went through so that we could have a way back to the tree of life, God. We are grateful. We're grateful, God. We come with a grateful heart just to say thank you, God. God, when we didn't know which way to turn, we could always turn to Jesus. When we didn't know which way to walk, we can always follow him. And so, God, we say thank you. Now, God, I just ask that you continue to keep us, continue to strengthen us, 
Continue to give us peace, God. Continue to shower us with your blessings from on high. And Father, when it's all said and done, we won't forsake Jesus. We will not forsake him. We will declare that he is Lord and he's Lord of all. He is Lord in our life and he's going to be Lord of this whole world. God, this whole world system is going to come under his authority. And God, we thank you for allowing him to be that perfect sacrifice for each and every one of us. And we just ask now that you keep us, God, as we go forth and continue to serve you in every way that you allow us to. We ask that you bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise if you will. Hallelujah. 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 You may be seated. You may be seated. Thank God for his word. We thank God for your attention to the things that were said. And I pray that it will continue to speak to your heart and your mind and at least make you think about some of the things that Jesus said and what he demands. Amen.